Welcome everybody, you're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning, you're with the double L team, La Land. Lawson! Lawson, what are you thankful for this morning? Oh, just a fantastic weekend. Like, yes. like just an epic weekend. Like, yes. obviously had my birthday on Friday, you know, spending time with people, getting presents, all that amazing stuff. But then we had our Revelation of Hope series begin oh, on the Friday night. Oh, that started Friday. Yes. And God has been really blessing, like bringing people along, people making decisions for him. I, again, I, I mentioned when we talked about it on Friday, I was like, man, this is the, this has been the most botched lead up you know, evangelistic series, you know, uh, ministry that I think I've ever been a part of because of COVID. Change the date. Change it, change it, change it, change it. So many problems. Can't be on the uni campus because of COVID. Like, just all kinds of things. Make a brochure. Change the dates on the brochure. Change change the location on the brochure. Change everything on the All the details on the brochure. Dude, but God has been been bringing people along, and it was especially powerful last night to to get people coming in on a, you know, giving up their Sunday night to come in and hear the word of God um, and to make decisions to be changed. Like, it was really, really powerful. So that is I amazing. Am praising God in my heart for When's that. When's the next presentation? Uh, Wednesday night. Wednesday night. So we have a presentation Wednesday night, and then we have another little uh, gap, and then we are going, yeah, Friday, Saturday, and then that kind of wraps things up. Okay, so do not miss. Do not miss this if you are anywhere in the Newcastle area, Lower Hunter area, hmm. Central Coast area, uh, Raymond Terrace, Port Stevens. I don't know. Anywhere in that yeah. kind of area, just, just, just go. Just head on just down. Go. It's been just go. powerful. Yes, absolutely. Mm. What are you well, I'm for? super thankful that we have Magantha joining us this morning. Yeah, uh, we have producer Magantha. Shell and we have producer Magantha this morning. She's mm. from your church. Yes, yeah, she is. How awesome is that? Yeah, she's a uni student in, the in the Newcastle, uni living her church. best life. It's, it's awesome. Yes. Good stuff. So special welcome to uh, Magantha. We are super happy to have her as a part of the Breakfast Show this morning. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Fantastic stuff. Let's talk about some positively different news. What have you got for us, Lawson? Okay, so this is a story that Shell has been hassling me to talk about for like the last however long. Um, and it's so because it's, it's slightly a, not current news. Yeah, well, it's, it's relatively current because this is playing out at the moment. Oh, you cool. Know, when this story was. It's happening. It, yeah, it's happening right now. When this story was announced, you know, it was like, oh, this will happen. Now it's happening. And that is essentially that, um, New South Wales public servants have been offered leave from their posts, you know, uh, for five days to go and help farmers with harvesting. Oh, I would so do that. So, you know, you're a public servant. I don't know necessarily what you do. Maybe you work in an office or you you do something. But then the government's like, well, specifically Paul Tool, who is the deputy premier, he's like, hey, can you go to regional New South Wales and, you know, pick cherries, pick oranges, help bring in the bump grain like can you go and do something like that and that that's basically their their job now that's amazing that is absolutely amazing i would do that in a heartbeat i used to do this back when i was a cabinet maker yeah uh because i would i would take holiday time and go and pick apples yeah you make good money picking apples back in the day i I guess you still can i don't know but i'd go and pick (laughs) apples and so i'd be getting my holiday pay plus i'd be getting two wages yeah you was just living your best life just 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 you know, you're out there, there's frost on the trees, your fingers are freezing, your back is aching, and you're just putting those dollar signs in front of your eyes and breathing fresh air and enjoying the sunshine and praising God and going, 
going nuts. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, for these guys, like four and a half thousand people, that's like a pretty strong workforce. You're not wrong. That's just a to be go, just to go like, hey, go and help all these people. I feel like you know, it's a really like good. It's a really good scheme. It's a fantastic yeah. initiative. And and what Paul uh, Paul Tool has said as well is that many of the public servants within New South Wales already live in rural or regional areas, so they should uh, a few of them know their way around a tractor or a crop or a field. Or- I can drive a tractor. Good for you. Uh, <laughs> I've been driving a tractor since I was eight. That's that's actually impressive. Is, oh, yeah. oh, is yeah. driving a tractor difficult? No. Oh, okay. You just start her up and yeah. Well, the tractors I were driving were the um, you know, you small orchard tractors. Ah, uh, okay. And so really, the only significant extra uh, thing that you need to take note of is you steer them a little bit like an aeroplane with the brakes. Yeah, because yeah. you've got you know. 20 bushel bin of apples on the back. You don't have much weight on the front wheels, so you don't really have steering. So you just steer with the uh, with the back wheels, with the steering brakes on the back wheels. Mm. So it's, it's like easy, easy as falling off a log. Yeah. Well, oh, I have some friends who live in rural New South Wales out in like Narrow Mine Way and whatnot, and they drive tractors, but they're in like the, you know, that's their industry. They're in the yeah, massive. Yeah, these are not orchard tra- tractors that they are driving. Yeah, they're in the massive John Deere's that like have, Bluetooth radio and aircon and yeah, have about 450 horsepower and 450 buttons to press potentially if you our know. orchard tractors had 35 horsepower. Oh wow, slight <laughs> <laughs> difference. Uh, yeah, that's right. So, but uh, you have to be able to get around under the trees. So that, you know that's how it works. True, true. The, man, these tractors out in out in Aramine, they're not getting around under the trees. They're they're just going over the top. Broad acre farming. <laughs> that's right. But also, hey, I read an amazing story too. This is a really cool piece of good news about. Uh, so, I don't know why we don't have this in Australia, but in England they have this competition and it's called England's Fittest Farmer. And it, you know, maybe you hear that name is like, what is this? Some kind of like model show? No, 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 no. This is like a, a like a full on Olympic style competition that all the farmers come and do. Well, it's more like ah, oh, what? Maybe you could say Tough Mudder or something like that. Where but obstacle they, course racing? No, it's not obstacle course racing. There is a section, a component of that where they carry around like pumpkins in a in a, in a wheelbarrow and race each other. Yeah, but it's more yeah, a pumpkin se- racing. Yeah, a, a series of challenges, hopping over fences, carrying around pumpkins, like doing all these kinds of. I was just up. At, I spent the weekend up at Lemon Tree Passage and for their um, annual festival they used to have lemon throwing in the into the passage yeah see how far you can throw a lemon into the passage, you know? <laughs> lemon and, passage. and someone wins and someone wins yeah that's awesome this is the best well this Should bring is it like, back this is specifically for farmers like you have to be a farmer to qualify yes and it's like legit like all the farmers coming from england you go through qualifying rounds all the way up oh, i wish you'd do this finals. in australia you totally. know that you know these guys would get competitive about that I, I, totally and 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 the thing is it's such. It's so good for your health to be out That's there right. in the fresh air, doing exercise, getting stronger, being fitter. That what what can be bad about that? That's one of the big points that this article I was reading makes, and that we can reflect on too, because we've talked plenty of times on how much physical activity aids, you know, positive mental health. Yes, and 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 also you know eating clean and all those different things. And if you have like. Dude, this competition where it's like, hey, you know, this is something you train up to as well. And the thing is, you can tell it's been trained, it's been designed for farmers because the average farmer is not the kind of person who's going to, you know, run in track and field or something like that. Yeah. It's just like, nah, this, that's lame. I drive tractors. Why would I run in track and field? Yeah. But this is obviously something like, yeah, I could, I could push wheelbarrows at pumpkins around a wheelbarrow. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And so there's like application there. It's like friendly but fierce 
competition that gets people inspired throughout the rest of the year to be able to, you know, go and to train for it. The winner from this year in the female character, um, in the female category, um, her name was Erica Robinson and she works as on her family's farm, but also as a personal trainer as well, just doing, um, local private stuff. And she was like trained up to, uh, the competition last year, but then it, you know, kind of got put off because of COVID. But then when it finally came back and they were like, okay, you know, we can have limited numbers here from the, you know, the qualifiees and everything. Then, unfortunately, she got COVID herself and couldn't go. And she was devastated because oh. she's like, I trained all year for this farmer tra- farmer fitness competition. Yes, but I bet she got off, got over COVID a lot easier because she was fit. She, totally. And she it, smashed that thing. She's come back and won yes. the next year. You yes. know, so she's killing it. The, uh, the guy winner, uh, his name is James Arnie. He's 26 from Somerset. This is a, a town in the UK. And um, he's this, he's a second time winner. He's just steamrolling this competition at the moment. Imagine he's if they did roll. an international one, Australia versus England. I mean, Australia versus England the are ashes. the best competition. The, ashes, the, <laughs> the ashes. ashes of farmer fitness. Yes. <laughs> of and you'd have, you know, our farmers that work on big brown farms and their farmers that work on little green farms. Yeah. And just let them go for it. Dude, I feel like us, you know, the colonizees, like all the, the, the colonized. Dude, the colonials. The colonials. Dude, I all think the colonized, we, yes. we would smoke them. I, I am putting Of course that. we would. I, of course I we would. think we would. I think the competition would be off the charts. But hey, if you have any thoughts, 0491064669 is the number to call. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. So I came up with a new idea. Um, really? Which, Did it yeah, hurt? In relationship to public servants. I mean, the army is made up of public servants, right? They, they work for the government. So that, sure. Let's, let's, why, don't we, why don't we do what the ancient kings used to do at harvest time where they would send their standing army home to, to get the harvest off, in off the fields? Um, because it would kind of be really bad it, if at that very moment... Just put them on... A, yeah, if China invaded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, just put them on a rotating schedule, you know? Um, so just, you know, harvest kind of goes year round in different forms. Ah, okay. Yeah. And sure. put them on a rotating schedule. You know, if you can drive an M1 Abrams, then surely you can handle a uh, header. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then China invades and it's like, what happened to all the tank drivers? <laughs> <laughs> They're on headers. Watch out. They'll come and cut you down. <laughs> Mow you tractors. down. Okay, I, I think I think we should do it. I think uh, the more people... Uh, some, actually, somebody texted through to say uh, New South Wales public servants leave for harvesting. What a great idea. Sure beats working in office for a while at least. This totally. will actually help with their health with sunshine, fresh air, exercise. Surely it will make them drink plenty of water and will help them mentally and spiritually. This is great news. And I think this is a really important point. This is probably the best thing that we can do for the mental health of our public servants mm. who have been struggling like everybody else during COVID. And if your mental health is suffering as a result result of COVID, why don't you do it? Take a week's holiday, go out west, get involved in the harvest for a week. Mm. I think it, I think you'd come back a new person. And then at the end, we have a competition for them called World's Fittest uh, Public yes. Servant. Yes. And they all verse yes. each other. World's Fittest Public Servant who has been on a farm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what we that's need right. to do. And they verse each other carrying pumpkins in a wheelbarrow and hopping over a fence. Uh, That's powerful. Okay. So another text message here. At least they are listening to the benefits of the health message. I like this. This is a, <laughs> this is like the best news ever. Um, and this is you know I think this is I think this is actually a really good thing for Australia. Mm. I, I just don't see any negatives right here. And you know I think your two stories combine those together. Uh, let's just do it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. So Joe Biden has just appointed Catherine Lamon to be the Assistant Secretary for Civil Rights. 
Okay. Now, the interesting thing about that is that he has chosen an extreme left activist um, who is strongly against religious liberty. Oh, okay. So, so you choose an extreme left acti- act- activist who has a long history of being against religious liberty as the Assistant Secretary for Civil Rights. You know what's crazy at that, at that point, right? Like, because definitely, you know, and they wouldn't, and, and it, I'm almost tempted to say they probably shouldn't pick someone who's, you know, in, in extremely religious, you know, for that position sure. because, they, yeah. you know, they want to be uh, as fair as possible in the middle. But then you pick someone completely on the other end of the spectrum. That's right. You, this is not an area where you need an extreme person. Yeah. This is an area where you need somebody who can find the balance mm. uh, that the country needs and for religious liberty. Now, this person, uh, Catherine Lamont, nearly didn't get through. It was a 50-50 tie in the Senate. Um, and so Kamala Harris had to step in as the tiebreaker to make sure that she got through. Oh, classic. Yep. Um, and so this is an area where she's been involved before, but uh, she has an interesting history um, where she has continually pretty much attacked free speech, uh, freedom of religion, women's rights, children's rights, etc. Uh, she has resisted the requests by religious institutions to be able to follow their religious beliefs uh, in relationship to the LGBT plus community uh, and has kind of been actively working against religious liberty the whole way through. Mm. And so it's an interesting thing, you know, when you look at where our world is at today and uh, you consider the future, the future is a little bit scary because at the moment we have uh, we have very strong... Um, we, we have very strong women's rights, we have feminism, we have um, a very strong push for you know, normalisation of LGBT+, all that kind of thing. And what you find when you go back through history is this is not the first time mm. our world has been here. But um, women's rights, LGBT+, rights and democracy are all cyclical in mm. history. And they appear from time to time, but their appearance is only ever brief. Mm. And the scary thing about that is that they all follow the same course and it starts with democracy, which is a great thing. It moves on to women's rights, which is a great thing. That mo- Then it moves on to feminism, which is sort of another level of women's rights but often then goes too far yeah. and pushes the pendulum too far. And we... Uh, try and turn women into men rather than appreciating the fact that God created women to do all the things that men can't do. Mm. Uh, then, you know, it moves on to, you know, normalization of LGBT plus and all those kind of things. And so you can go back in history, you can look at how these things have played out, you know, in the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire, and they appear for very short spaces of time. And then kind of what happens is that the caveman mentality just steps up and goes, no. Mm. And then, and then everything goes down the tube. Religious liberty goes down the tube. Uh, women get the worst possible outcome ever. Um, LGBT plus people are persecuted and burned at the stake. And people somehow think that this time around it's going to be different. Mm. But you know, when I look at my granddaughter, and if time were to last, what would actually happen there? It actually scares me a little bit mm. because. 
if we, from, from, from the perspective of somebody who studies history, if we know our history and we see the cyclical nature of history, then she's going to grow up in a period where it's going to be terrible for women. Mm. And this is all because we just can't keep balance. We just have to push the pendulum too far every time. And the backlash every time is extreme repression of religious liberty by religious leaders. Mm. And extreme repression of pretty much everybody else by religious leaders, because you get this, you get this backlash, where the, uh, the you know the caveman mentality steps in and just takes over because it's like, well, we will because we can. Mm. It's it's not a fun thing to think about, but I did say that we'd talk about this uh, this new discovery, first time discovery in Jerusalem, archaeological discovery. We're going to talk about the Balm of Gilead now. The Balm of Gilead is a tree. It's also known as balsam or bosom or persimmon. has no relationship whatsoever to the persimmon fruit that we have here in New South Wales. Uh, but it's known by those names. Anciently, it was uh, used for medicinal, medicinal purposes, for cosmetic purposes, and for temple incense. And today, the Balm of Gilead is only grown on one farm in Israel. Oh, wow. Just one place. And the trees that he has there are trees that date back literally thousands of years to the period before Abraham. Wow. Yeah, so he's got some really, really old uh, trees going there, and the guy who grows them is a guy by the name of uh, Guy. Good for, good guy, for that guy. Guy Elrich, yep, Guy Elrich. Anyway, uh, archaeologists were... Uh, digging in a 2,000-year-old drainage ditch near the Western Wall in Jerusalem. They discovered an amethyst, uh-huh. a precious stone, and carved on that precious stone was a dove sitting on the branch of a balm of Gilead tree. And this is the first time anyone has ever found an inscription of the balm of Gilead. Wow. So lots of other trees you can find in the ancient world, inscriptions of them and so forth. But they picked this one up and they instantly recognized it. They took it over. They actually gave it to uh, Guy Elrich uh-huh. because he's kind of the only guy who grows them. <laughs> and so they gave it to him as a, as a gift for him to uh, to look after. And he's, he's looked at it and he's like, this is like somebody has written to me a letter from, you know, two and a half thousand years ago. Wow. Wow. Uh, because this, like, this is my, obviously he's really passionate about his trees. Mm. And so this was, um, you know, so Barma Gilead is mentioned in Genesis 37 and verse 25. That's going back a long way in history indeed. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Dr. John Ashton, welcome to the show. Oh, good morning, all. We always enjoy your segments here on Faith FM, and this morning we're going to talk a little bit about dinosaurs. So recently they made a... I guess they changed their minds about a dinosaur that was discovered some time ago. Oh, yes, that's right. The one at the Ipswich uh, coal mine. Yes. yes. They originally thought it was a, um, a predator, but um, the, apparently the analysis now is from the, the footprint that was a herbivore. I think they only found a footprint, so um, the footprint. Mm. And, and this is one of the things that I find interesting, you know, whenever I see these discoveries, you know, we, we, we do a discovery, we discover a footprint or whatever it might be, and initially, you know, back in the 1960s, they come out and they say, well, you know, this is a very large um, carnivorous dinosaur that was wandering around, and of course that's a lot more exciting to report about. 
Um, but it is reported with great confidence. You can go to these kind of locations sometimes and, you know, they might have a plaque that, you know, proclaims with great certainty, uh, what they have discovered. And then, you know, 40, 50, whatever years down the track, suddenly we realize that actually, no, that was entirely false. It was a fairly small dinosaur that ate vegetables and was about the size of a, you know, stood about as high as a, as a human being. Um, why is it that in the, in the area of dinosaurs and, and and uh, the the study of dinosaurs that we get these things so wrong when you know they are proclaimed with such confidence and how can we have confidence when we find out that we were so epically wrong? Mm. Yes, well, I mean this is a, a classic example of um, I guess it, it revolves often to around journalism um, and. Um, you know, everybody wants to make a discovery, don't they? You know, and and uh, get some notoriety. But I think a lot of the times too that uh, journalism, you know, sensationalises things and um, things can be got um, reported um, sort of over enthusiastically, um, and also the the results can be misinterpreted by the the scientists uh, themselves. Um, but uh, I, I think on reading the, the article that came out the other day, a number of very interesting things come out, and that is, uh, you know, they talk about how, you know, the continents of sort of Africa, India, South America and Australia are all squashed together, um, and that this part of Australia was actually uh, believed to be located around sort of the Arctic um, Antarctic um, area, uh, but was much warmer. And of course, afterwards the continents, you know, broke up and and moved apart. Uh, and I think one of the things really that this whole scenario really fits in with the the flood scenario, the um, the Earth originally being you know much warmer than it is now more uniform climate, all, all this sort of thing, actually fits the flood model very well because the flood provides the, and that supernatural provides the energy for rapid movement of the continent, um, uh, the, the water burial, uh, all these things are sort of buried underwater. Um, it, it fits so much the, the flood model and, and the fact that these footprints have been Preserved. I mean, we we know, you know, you go to a beach, you make footprints, um, you come back an hour later and they're not there, you know. <laughs> the, the water's washed them away. So all these hypotheses that they have that, um, you know, the, the, the animal is running through a swamp and then slowly sediment was washed into the footprint, um, all, all these sort of scenarios really don't add up to what we know yeah, happens today in in terms of uh, you know preserving animals and and this sort of thing. There there has to be rapid burial of these uh, footprints to preserve them like that, um, and also catastrophic. Remember, they were found in the top of the the coal seam, and so there had to be quite catastrophic processes to convert this swamp to coal at the time. A lot of you know pressure and heat and this sort of thing. So. The, the flood scenario just fits so well, so much of the geology that we see and so much of the, of the fossil record as well. 
Um, and I, I find that this, you know, is, is very encouraging. It's interesting, you know, the 200 million year figure that was put on this, um, and then they talk about, uh, you know, sort of other dinosaurs being, you know, 20 or 30 million years younger, and they have all these ages. Um, and yet the precision of those measurements are nowhere near that sort of accuracy. Uh, you get huge variation on radiometric dating just by dating the same rocks and using um, the different uh, methods, whether you use potassium argon or samarium uh, neodymium or, uh, you know, um, some of the other uh, methods, red lead, these sort of things, red uranium dating. You'll get vastly different ages for those rocks way outside that sort of accuracy. So it's interesting, just um, a few days ago, I was reading a, um, of a report that went to the um, to an international geology conference, I think it was in 2012. And um, it was interesting, these guys that presented at the conference, it was some uh, scientists from Germany presented um, the conference. It was in... Uh, 16th of August 2012, um, and it was American Association um, uh, Geoscience uh, Conference. It was held in uh, Singapore, and um, they dated carbon dated carbon 14 dated 12 dinosaur different types of dinosaur remains from uh, around the world. Quite a few in America, and they all came out. Uh, there were quite high levels of carbon-14, meaning that they were all dating around about 20,000 years according to carbon-14 dating, but they were getting the same dates as we get for the, the megafauna, which, of course, we know lived during human times, uh, like the giant mammoths and this sort of thing. So this was very interesting, and it, it certainly upset quite a few people at the uh, conference. So this was interesting because these um, uh, dinosaurs were in um, the period just a little bit younger. They were from the Cretaceous and Jurassic uh, dinosaurs, whereas the one found in Australia was slightly older, what they call the Triassic period. But it's very interesting that, again, with carbon-14 dating, they only got tens of thousands of years, and yet, again, by conventional dating, uh, the Cretaceous is from, you know, 70 million years ago to about 120 million years of memory, something like that. So, yeah, that's a, that's a very, very big gap. I mean, that's a huge difference between the two. It's not like, you know, a, a few million years here and there. That's a, a lot of million years. Well, that's right, yeah. So the, the Cretaceous ended about 70 million years ago from memory. And, as, as I mean, this is according to conventional dating, and yet here we find... These guys analysed 12 dinosaur remains and they got carbon-14 dates saying that they were in the order of around twenty to 30,000 years. And that would, be, that would definitely be closer to what we would expect seeing as that we find, that di- we find soft tissue in you know, a multitude of different dinosaurs around the world. Well, that's right, and they found soft tissue in the, in the dinosaur remains. Yeah, it's quite... Quite an interesting report. It was done by uh, you know, a number of the German scientists um, that um, that analysed um, these uh, samples. So this is um, 
um, you know, <laughs> and, and again, we fit, you know, we, we do carbon dating on sort of, uh, sort of, uh, you know, old uh, Indigenous uh, sites here in Australia and we get similar sort of ages. So this is very, very, very interesting. One of the things that fascinated me with uh, when my recent trip to Queensland, and I think I may have mentioned this in an earlier program, was that um, a lot of these petrified um, and fossilised bones were found on the surface. And the other thing is that, you know, fossilisation and petrification can take place quite rapidly. So I remember when I was at the University of Tasmania, uh, one of my friends was uh, doing his doctorate in geochemistry and he, uh, he had discovered a, um, a partly fossilised uh, pick handle or shovel handle. So part of the handle was still wood and part of the handle had been fossilised and turned to stone. And, um, and this was from a mining site that he was studying the geochemistry of. And I remember he had the wood handle dated, and this was like a European prospector's handle, uh, and it came back at uh, 6,600 years, according to the carbon-14 dating. So it's an interesting thing, but the other end of it was fossilised. Uh, well, you know, it was petrified. It was petrified wood uh, mm. turned to stone. And so what we know is these processes can occur, you know, quite rapidly. And so the picture that we when we discovered these dinosaur bones and I was quite fascinated in one of the museum sites that I went to to see the, the thigh bone of this dinosaur and I suppose it <clears throat> would, the, the, the bone uh, would have been in the order of um, you know 30 centimetres uh, thick and probably about, um, I don't know, uh, 120, 150 centimetres uh, long um, and uh, we were able to touch it because they'd uh, coated it in a, in a protective layer. But that was the actual fossil of, uh, of one of these giant, um, very large, curb-eating uh, dinosaurs that were, was up there. But again, when they showed you the picture of how it was found, it was found partly sticking out of the ground on the, on the surface by this farmer walking through his paddock. <laughs> he just saw this big lump of what he thought was rock and he thought, oh, that's an unusual shape. And, you know, it was the, the joint end of the bone sticking out. Um, so, again, to, to me, these things all point to, um, you know, the very recent flood that we have and the global, catastrophic global flood that explains just so much of the topography that we around uh, around the place mm. it certainly does indeed john and uh it's always good to hear how that you know what we what we see out there in the natural world confirms what the bible says and what the historical record is that we have in the bible uh right down through to you know to this day um Dr. John Ashton, thank you for joining us here on Faith FM this morning to talk about dinosaurs and uh yeah I guess particularly this um this issue of their dates and their ages and some of the challenges that science has in relationship to that. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.